Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Beach Talks. And today we got got my good buddy, Dr. Tom Price. He's worn a lot of hats, but uh, I think his favorite hat is doctor. And uh, his mama said, what did your mama say if, if about being called doctor? When I got in the House of Representatives, uh, somebody asked me, do you want me to call you congressman or do you want me to call you doctor? And my mom, I told that story to my mom. She said, you make sure they call you doctor. It took you longer to get that than going to Congress. <laughs> I love it. And he and that, and that he's telling the truth about that. So anyway, Tom's great to come and talk to us a little bit today. He's had a fantastic career. He's done a lot of cool stuff. You know, he's uh, done and all the doctor stuff. He's done a lot of politics. And so we're going to talk a little bit about both of those. But, you know, Tom, we like to start off with a story, something that's sort of a life story for you. You got me a good story you can tell me? <laughs> well, I got a, I, I got a bunch. I'm not sure which one to share with you. But I, I guess um, I got asked a lot why I went into to medicine. What interested you in medicine? And my dad and my granddad were docs. So um, when I think back about, about why I thought medicine was a good idea, the first memory that I have about what medicine was, was with my grandfather. Now, my grandfather was born in 1877. Wow. He lived to be 98 years old, died in 1975, practiced medicine until he was 94 years old. Man. I knew him well. Uh, and uh, some of my first memories of him were when he, uh, when he was still working, still practicing medicine. And we, uh, we didn't live too far from him. And I would visit him on the weekends. We would visit him on the weekends. And one of my favorite things to do was to go, uh, on, go with him on Saturday morning uh, on rounds to see his patients. And uh, for folks who, uh, who, who know what that means, that you, in this day and age, it means going to the hospital right. and seeing patients, seeing the patients that are in the hospital, uh, rounding to see your patients and see how they're doing, seeing who is ready to go home. Well, this was in the early 60s. And so uh, rounding then for my grandfather, who would, did everything, uh, meant getting in your car and going to people's homes. And so my first memory of what it meant to be a doctor was getting in my grandfather's car and going to visit people at their homes. And I didn't, I didn't want to do it because I wanted to see the patient. I want to do it because I want to be with my granddad. Right, right. And, and so my memory, uh, my childhood memory of that is, is pulling up at people's houses and we'd get out. And I remember thinking in, in, in my mind, what, what are we doing here? What, 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 why are we stopping here? And in my childhood memory, inevitably, we'd walk up to the door and my grandfather would knock on the door and, and, and somebody would come to the door. And instead of saying, uh, who are you and what do you want? Um, again, my childhood memory is that they'd fling open the door, they'd give him a big hug and they'd say, oh, Dr. Price, thanks so much for coming. Come on in. And, and I know that somewhere in my heart and in my mind, that instilled in me this incredible relationship the docs have with their patients. Wow. That uh, uh, the love and compassion and, and, and sincerity uh, and warmth that exists in an ideal situation between docs and patients. And so I, I, rem I remember thinking, goodness, you, you know, if you can get a job where you pull up to people's houses, they come out and give you a hug and invite you in. I said, that's a pretty good job. <laughs> so, that's a really good job. That's, uh, that's one of my first memories of, 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 of what medicine, what it meant to, to, to be a doctor and take care of patients. And you know, I, I, I have this marketing thing that I do and I call it visiting that we don't do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that was more of a, like, like you said, a house call or yeah. doing the rounds and they were expecting you, but that warmth of people inviting you in their house, That's I mean, right. it's, it's almost like it's a lost art. Yeah. yeah. Did we're, you, we're when you sure. were in politics, did you feel like that? that maybe helped you feel better about originally like knocking on the door and going in did that make it yeah. easier for you i don't know if there was a connection to that but i i enjoyed um the the, the personal aspect of politics i got involved in politics after practicing medicine for a long time but um but the, the the one of the things that drew me to it was being able to make that connection to folks to to figure out what it is that they felt was important and then try to represent them as best i could and and uh uh, people were uh, people were really appreciative. My, my, my memories are are very positive of what 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 we did and what my relationship was with my constituents and the people that I tried to represent as best I could, both in the state senate and in in, in Congress. 
So I remember as a kid thinking about, you know, since we both had dads that were doctors, yeah. I remember thinking, I remember knowing early on that I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor. <laughs> I don't know what about it it was, but I mean, school just wasn't my thing. But did when did you start feeling like, hey, I'm smart enough, I think I can go to med school? Did you ever, did you ever question it or did you always just feel no, like you were there? I, 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 I was really blessed. I was fortunate. I, I, school came easily to me, mm -hmm. um, and and especially the sciences uh, and and math. Um, I wanted to be a baseball player. I was convinced that I was going to be the next shortstop for for in professional baseball, and and I loved baseball. And I I, I I practiced. Oh my goodness! I actually went out to Oklahoma to a baseball camp when I was uh, twelve or thirteen, um, and uh, a Chandler baseball camp. In, uh, in in Oklahoma, and that I spent the whole summer, eight weeks out there playing baseball. That was a lot back then. Well, I was convinced I was gonna I was gonna be a professional ball. Player. What position? Shortstop. And when I uh, uh, when I when I realized, or when somebody helped me realize that that my talent wasn't, wasn't gonna take me very far, I said, all right, I'll go. I'll I'll, I'll try to go to med school. So. <laughs> so that's that's interesting. All right, so. You get into med school, you get out, you grew up in Michigan, yeah. right? Yeah. Right, and, and then I guess you went to Emory down here. Is that what got you to Atlanta? Yeah, I did, I did undergrad med school at, at, uh, at Michigan um, and then did my residency in orthopedic surgery at, at Emory and at Grady. My, my mom was, was uh, uh, born and raised in Virginia in Roanoke. And so when I was a kid, we would, we would take our, part of our summer vacation was driving down to Roanoke and picking up my grandmother and heading over to Virginia Beach, and so yeah. my my the halcyon days of my youth during the summer uh, were spent at Virginia Beach. And I remember asking my mom as a kid, um, "Why do we live up here, in <laughs> Michigan?" That is, I'm one of five. I was the middle of five kids, so the, the, the I was the only one who had this sense. I, I tell folks I got all the Southern blood that there was in my, in, in in our family, because I, I I really I made a decision early on that as soon as I could make my first independent decision. I was going south, um, and so uh, oh. my first true independent decision was where I would do my residency. And so when I when I was interviewing for where to do my residency in in, in orthopedics or in surgery at that time, um, I interviewed from Richmond South. So I interviewed Richmond and Chapel Hill and uh, and and Emory and Grady and uh, uh, and at, uh, at Florida at uh, uh, at Charity in in New Orleans. I went all the way over to Galveston and and and, and interviewed. So I, I, but the, you were so the I'm going. I, I was, I was ready. I was ready to come, and uh, and my interview. I'll never forget it. My interview for uh, uh, for Emory was on December twenty third. It would have been nineteen seventy eight, uh, and my, it, I think that's the date. And 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 I drove down, and uh, um, and and I think the temperature was like seventy three degrees. And I said, "Is it? <laughs> you for sure you were in the right spot." <laughs> This is where I'm coming. This is cold where you're coming from. All right, so talk to me about, you know, you probably got into like a private practice at first or a little uh -huh. bit or small, and then all that's changed, right? Yeah. So is that a good change or, you know, is that a bad change? I mean, what, well, I mean, from a doctor standpoint. I, I, I think, I mean, the private practice of medicine, when I graduated from medical school in 1979, um, they've been asking medical students for, decades, um, all sorts of questions. They, the, the, these people that study medical students, right. <laughs> your dad may have been one of them. Right. Right. Um, and, 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 and one of the questions that they ask is what, as a medical student, what do you see as your ideal working situation? And in 1978, 1979, when I came out about two thirds, almost three quarters of folks said that they wanted to be in a private practice. They want to run their own practice. want to be in a private practice of, of, of medicine. And that's completely flipped now. It's about only 25% to 30% who say that they want to be in private practice. Most folks now say that they want to be an employed physician. They want to work for either um, a, a, in, in an academic setting or uh, for a large, um, a large practice, multi-specialty practice or a large practice or a large health system. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be in charge of, of, of what they do. They, they don't necessarily want to be captain of the ship as we used to be told right, when, right. when I was in medical school, we were always told, remember, you're the captain of the ship. You're, you're the one that has to make those decisions. And it was especially true in, in, in surgery. You know, you, somebody had to be in charge 
And they, we, the way that we were taught was that you are going to be that person that's going to be in charge. And so you have a different mindset about what it means to study, what it means to learn, what yeah. it means that you, what, what what you've got to learn. If you if you're truly responsible for that individual who's put their life literally in your hands, you've got to know some things that 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 the person who's uh, all important, the whole team's important, right. but the person bringing in the instruments doesn't have to make the decision about what it is that we're going to do to save or help uh, 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 that person who's, who's uh, lying in front of you. So. so does an average doctor, you know, given, uh, you know, inflation and all that, are these doctors that are working for these groups, are they making more or less than maybe they would have been? Huh? It, it depends. Depends on, on, on what your specialty is. Um, you know, phys physicians, by and large, for for uh, years and years, have been relatively well compensated. That's changing a lot. You've got many of the pressures financially for docs are increasing, whether it's compliance with the regulatory scheme that's here, either at the federal level or the state level, whether it's uh, um, the, the the cost of just being in practice, mm -hmm. um, the, the 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 cost of complying with sort different sorts of things. So. Uh, it, it's changing. It's one of the reasons that many physicians now say, um, I want to take care of people. Uh, that's my passion is to care for people. Uh, but I don't want to have to make all these other decisions. I don't want to have to decide, you know, uh, who the office manager is going right. to be, who's going to be running the x-ray machine, who's going to be working in the in the surgery center, who's going to, all those things. I don't want to have to decide. I just just let me please just take care Why of Why is that? Why such a change from when you started? Uh, uh, you know, part of it is is is, is cultural, I, I, I suspect, but it it's gotten much more difficult in not just in medicine, but across the board, uh, uh, to 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 try to have a practice, try to run yeah. a practice. There's, it's so complicated now uh, with the requirements and the and the the, uh, the complexities of the system itself. Uh, it's it's actually one of the things that 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 drove me into the political arena. Um, is because I felt that, that at, at some point I recognized, when I, I worked here in the North Atlanta area and I had, a, had an office that I started, I was in solo practice for six years and then grew it into a large uh, orthopedic practice. And I remember in the early to mid nineties, I remember the day uh, when I was walking from my office, I, was, I, I got the, uh, the call from the nurse that, that there was a patient I was supposed to see. And I was walking from my office where I do my clerical stuff toward the clinical area, toward the front office where patient, where the patients were. And I remember that coming to that door where I would move through that door into the clinical area where you see patients and, 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 and take care of them. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, there are more people on this side of the door, the non-clinical side Whoa. of the door, than there were on the clinical side of the door because there were all the folks back there who were trying to deal with the insurance companies, with the hospitals, with the labs, trying to make certain that everything was 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 being done, uh, and 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 I, I remember thinking that doesn't make a whole lot of sense that there are more people who are in the practice of medicine, helping this practice of medicine, who never see a patient. So there's more. There's more government involvement, like more, a lot more of stuff. involvement, more insurance uh, requirements and the like. So I remember thinking, boy, oh boy, it, it, when, when I when I got the opportunity. To, to run for the state senate uh, here here in, in Norfolk, uh, I got I, I remember thinking maybe I can do more to help patients, the practice of medicine and patients as a legislator than 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 I and to help more people than I could as as a physician because I love practicing medicine. Oh my goodness gracious, what what a uh, Satisfying. What an, oh, what an incredible honor it, it, it was, and to be able to truly help people. And as an orthopedic surgeon. Um, which, I mean, which is, I think is the best specialty for sure. Cause you, 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 by and large, you're taking care of healthy people who have some calamity befall them. Either they break right. a bone or, uh, they have some, some, some trauma or something. And if, 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 you, if, and when you do the right thing, most folks get well and get back to what they're doing. Not, not everybody. And some people have some awful diseases that we had to take care of, uh, um, and, and, and try to help folks through that. But by and large, if you did the right thing, uh, had a happy ending. Had so a happy speak. ending, and that was that was incredibly gratifying. I still get folks come up to me in the post office and the grocery store and the like, who say, uh, um, uh, "Thank you. Hey, you, you fixed you, this. You, you, you fixed this. this. You took care of my son. You took care of my daughter." Um, uh, and that's really what it's all about. It is. is. It really is. I mean, there's there's nothing there's nothing uh, more gratifying and more satisfying and more fulfilling 
than caring for somebody and helping them. So let's talk about that healthcare thing. I mean, there's everybody's got a different view of what the problem is. What is there, in your opinion, what needs to happen? I mean, do we need this universal type healthcare? Do we need more private? I mean, you've spent a lot of time on yeah, that. So I, I have. You got how much time you got? I got all day. <laughs> give me the give me the quarters worth. You know, you know, uh, uh, President Eisenhower when it, 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 all the, we're going way back. Now. We're going way back. All the all the all the uh, hats that he used, he wore. Right. Right. And, you know, he was. Uh, and he used to say, whenever he had a problem that he couldn't solve, he made the problem bigger. And the, the solution tended to come into focus if you hmm. make the problem so big. And so I used to think about that as it related to medicine. And people get down in the weeds on healthcare all the time. And, that, and, and that's everybody's where, got a piece of the pie, right? Everybody's got a piece of the pie. But I believe that if you make the problem bigger, if you try to figure out what the fundamental solution is, what's the fundamental fix to healthcare? I think it becomes pretty doggone simple. Um, so you, you, you mentioned universal healthcare. Do we need universal healthcare? Well, I mean, that connotes a lot of things. Do we need everybody to be covered, to have, have some type of insurance coverage? You bet. Mm -hmm. you, the, the system doesn't work anymore when you've got all sorts of people out here, many people out here walking around without any coverage. It just doesn't work. When my dad and my granddad practiced medicine, um, my grand, I remember my grandfather getting paid in, in cords of wood and chickens. You just got it any way you could. Right? And, 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 and you and, were going to help them regardless. Exactly. And, 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 but the people wanted to, to, they wanted to pay, they wanted to compensate their, their, their physician for taking care of them. And, and, and sometimes they had the money, sometimes they did it. And when they didn't have the money, then they came up with something that, that, that what they thought was valuable enough to be able to, to, to get right. that, that, that's, that you can't do that anymore. It's illegal to do that. Uh, so, uh, you can't have folks out here walking around, uh, with, without any insurance. So when you make the problem big enough, you got to get everybody covered. Now the question is, how do you get everybody covered? Mm -hmm. And that's where part of the rub comes. But I think there's a relatively simple way to do it. You have a whole system of, of, of like we do uh, different insurance policies that people have available to them for those folks that can't afford it, then we make certain that they have something available to them. Uh, our Medicaid system is one is is, is one of the things the that fits right now. And 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 you just make it so that everybody is able to have access to that that coverage. So that's one principle. Second is, um, regardless of who's paying the bill for that coverage, the patient needs to own the coverage. They need to be the ones that own the policy. So they're the ones that select the policy. It's not somebody else picking the policy. Yeah. And the reason that that's important, that's incredibly important, is that um, if, 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 if your doctor wants you to have a test or something and the insurance company says no right now, you know, you don't need that or right. uh, it's not, it, it's, it's too soon. It's, right. um, and, and, and your doctor's hands are tied. He or she really can't do anything because the insurance company says, no, well, that's not the doctor practicing medicine. That's the insurance company practicing medicine. So your doctor says to you, well, if you're, if you can get your insurance company to, to approve this, then we'll go ahead. And sometimes it's little stuff, a blood test. Sometimes it's big stuff. Sometimes it's major surgery that can, that, that can help you. So you go, you, so you go home and you say, I got a bright idea. I'm going to go home. I'm going to call the insurance company and I'm going to tell them that I, that my doctor says I need to have this stuff. They've already done that by the way, and they've been turned down. But I'm going to do it myself because I because I'm the patient, right? I'm, I'm I ought to be in charge of this. So they go home and call the insurance company, and what's the insurance company say basically? No. Why don't you call somebody who cares? Because <laughs> we don't. Because you don't pay the bill. Uh. You aren't the person that that that's responsible for picking us. It's either your employer or the human resources officer or the government, state government or federal government is picking. The insurance company. Mm, you're so not you the see, customer. You're not the customer. So you see how the relationship changes. If you own it, they have to be responsive to you because they you, know that the next or you time you go to another company, go to another company. So if you get everybody covered and make certain that that coverage is owned by the patient, I promise you, we turn this system on its head in a positive way. And it, it then becomes responsive to the patient, which is who it ought to be responsive. So, do we have like a tier system then? So you got people at the bottom that aren't paying that are covered, 
They, 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 they would own. They would own their company. An illegal immigrant gets hurt on a construction job and Dif- goes. Different question. Different. Okay. That, that, that's question about the, the the legality of individuals okay. being here. If you want to talk about about somebody who's uh, legal and they don't have insurance. Well, they would have insurance in my. They'd, be They'd be covered under something. That's okay, right. I got you. And, and they would own it. Would they pay for it? If, if they made a certain amount of money. Now, those are the decisions that the policymakers have okay, to make. Okay, so you got to figure that out. out. So some people might get it free. Some people pay, pay right. a little, very little. That's right. Okay. And then you got maybe a, uh, then then from there, is it kind of open to individuals to choose the types of policies? Absolutely. Absolutely. So but, then we're kind of back to what we kind of had before a little bit, except the bottom people are being covered now. Every, I wouldn't call them the bottom people. I'd say everybody gets covered. Everybody gets covered. The model for this, part of the model for this, uh, people say, well, don't other nations do this better than we do? Well, no, not really from a health care standpoint. But, but Switzerland has, has, I think, an ideal model for it, if, if you're of the belief that the government ought to be providing health coverage. And that is that the government of Switzerland doesn't, doesn't um, run any health system. It doesn't run a Medicare program or a Medicaid program. Mm. It simply provides the resources through taxes, obviously, but provides the resources for each individual to pick the insurance coverage that they want. So they go, the, the, each, each citizen of, of Switzerland, they pick what they want. And then you've got that appropriate relationship. So we could do kind of like we do with Section 8 housing or something like that. In other words, if you can't afford, if you know, based on your income, you can only afford X. So if your policy should be $500 a month and based on your income, you're going to do three, maybe some entity makes that difference up for you. That's right. Something like that. But yet still as an individual, you're choosing which company that you want. Exactly right. Okay. So what I don't understand is why don't we have more options in like the state of Georgia on what we can choose? What, what's how, why is that? So all, all of that is policymakers who think that they, they, they got a better idea over the, are those state, is that like state insurance commission? Who's deciding? Some some of it's state, some of it's state, some of it's the state, uh, um, uh, law. That, that, that allows for the kind of coverage that's available. And then the insurance department uh, is the one that regulates that to make certain that that So happens. like if I'm, when I was on Obamacare, right now I'm on my wife's policy, but when I was on Obamacare, it seemed like we only had one or two companies that gave us options. Right, and now that, the, the reason for that is that the federal government compensates companies a specific set amount for that coverage. And, and, the, and the companies look at that and say, well, I. Can't make I, I any can't money do doing it. I can't do that. My margin is not enough to be able to do that. And so you get fewer companies to be able to provide it. That's why you've got to have a system that's that's opened up and allows individuals to select different kinds of products. And then why do people think that's not a good idea? Who's What's the... Great question. <laughs> there, are, <laughs> there are a lot of people in... in, in uh, these are public policy questions now. So these are politicians that get elected to office that mm-hmm. are making these decisions about what you can have... That, 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 that you have available to you. And there are a lot of folks in that public policy arena in the state legislature and in, and in Washington who believe they know better about what you ought to have for you and your family as opposed to you knowing better about what you and your family need. And that's where the rub comes but from an ideological standpoint. I be- People say, well, what, what should the health system look like? I've got a lot of ideas about what I think it ought to look like, but I'll tell you how you figure it out. You put the patient truly in charge, and the system will move in the direction that the patients want it to move, and that's how it ought to look. And 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 the, pe- the people are people are pretty bright about what they need. We're not talking about people being turned away. We're not talking about limiting people's access to 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 care. We're saying that the patient ought to be the one that, and and the family of, of that patient ought to be the ones that are making these decisions, not anybody else. Would that also work like if for your would that, how would that work from an employer standpoint? Because right now they give you an option, right? So would you also, if would you, would you think it'd be better for still the person to pick and not the employer to choose? Did, did, did you ever ask yourself why the employer is providing health coverage anyway? Yeah. You know why? A benefit, supposedly. Yeah, but why, why did they do that? I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> during, during World War II, wage and price controls were put in place. Okay. And uh, there, there wasn't significant health insurance at that time. 
And so the employers, uh, uh, in an effort to try to attract em employees, because good the, people, good people, because because the a lot of the guys were off at, at, at war, so they needed to attract employees. They said, oh, "We got a bright idea. We'll provide health coverage. We'll provide both. Mason, it, was, it was Blue Cross or Blue Shield at, at, at that time, because that was the only company that was out there. Really, and and the federal government had to answer the question: Okay, how are you going to treat that benefit? Is that a taxable event mm. or a non-taxable event? The, does does the individual have to pay taxes on what that's worth? That benefit is worth, or is it is it a non-taxable event? And they decided that it was a non-taxable event, which means that there was then a tax incentive for employee employers to provide coverage for their employees. And this whole third-party system, this whole employer-sponsored system, grew out of that decision, public policy decision, um, uh, about uh, how it ought to be treated from a tax standpoint. So employers, because I mean, the guy running the, 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 the shop down on the corner, he doesn't necessarily want to pick your health coverage if you're working at that shop. He, that's not his expertise. He wants to run his shop or, right. or, or the grocery store, where, right. whatever. Right. Um, but, but, they are, but because they have a tax incentive for providing coverage, because providing health coverage for them is, is, is less expensive to them from a tax standpoint as opposed to paying you and bumping your salary. Raising your salary and letting you buy. That's right. So, so there is the incentive mm. is to 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 provide that health coverage, and that's all growing up. But then, the, then the employer has to make that decision. So they could, the employer could say, "Here's some options to choose from," right. and then they could still pay it and still get the tax incentive. And that's exactly the system it ought to be. The employer ought to be able to say, "We're we're going to provide this this amount of money, this amount of resource to, for you to be you, able to purchase whatever you want. you want." And right now, you can't do that. So we have to have some changes on that. That, those are the kind of changes that you need. But the, the two principles are you got to get everybody covered and the patient has to own the policy. Wow. Wow. All right. Sorry, so we got off on that. Too. I love that because <laughs> people don't know that. Tom. Right. They don't they don't have the depth of knowledge about it. You do. We only know what we hear and see on television and stuff like that. And that's 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 really cool to learn that from my standpoint. So. You're, you're going along in medicine and then you decide to get into politics. What was the first thing that you, you know, I remember like I got into, got into selling cars as one of my first jobs and one of the, and it hit me and I went, oh my God, they really do lie. You know, <laughs> what was one of the things that hit you about politics once you got in there that you went, you know, maybe I was a little naive or I can't believe it's that way. Was there something, uh, it could be good or bad, but when I was, I was first elected to the state senate in 1996, um, and and uh, I was elected as a Republican and and went down to the state senate. And at that time, uh, Republicans were in the minority. I, there are 56 state senators here in Georgia. I think we had 21 or 22, so we lacked um, uh, seven or eight folks to to to, to get to to a majority. Um, and um, um, and I remember thinking, you know. Uh, um, and I was I, I'm pretty full of myself getting down there. You know, I, I, I was one of two doctors in the state Senate. Don Thomas was the other one. He was elected the same year I was. And before then, they hadn't had any 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 doctors in, in, in the state Senate. Um, and I remember um, uh, and, and I wanted to I wanted to be helpful and, and, and solve problems Problem, and the like. Yeah. And so I don't remember the issues, but uh, I, I, I'm early in my in my first term, I, I, I took the well to speak on something in 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 the in the state senate, and so uh, um, I I spoke and 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 I thought I did a pretty good job. And <clears throat> I came back to my desk, and George Hooks, who was an old uh, um, Democrat from uh, I think Columbus area. I can't remember where he's from, but he, but what a wonderful guy, just an old Southern gentleman. He was great, and uh, he he actually stood up and he said to, uh, to the to to the state senate, "Isn't it great that we've got Dr. Price down here now? He's he he comes and helps us understand this issue, and and and, and so we can figure it out. And and I just wanted to say how wonderful it is to have Dr. Price in in in, in our state senate, uh, and I think we ought to fight, vote for whatever it was." And so I, 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 I really puffed up then. I mean, I, that, that, that was good. And it wasn't a week or two later, and I took the well again on some other topic, and, and uh, uh, it had to do with medicine. Um, and uh, I, I gave this impassioned plea for whatever I thought would needed to happen. And, uh, and I left the well, and then, and then uh, George Hooks, same fellow, uh, came down and, and, and said, uh, 
isn't it awful? Dr. Price comes down here and all he wants to do is what, what, what the doctors want him to do. He doesn't give a hoot about anybody. <laughs> and, and I remember sitting in my, in, in my chair thinking, well, this is an interesting place. <laughs> that changed quick, didn't it? <laughs> it the, the thing about politics that I've tried to tell folks, especially for medicine who are going in, 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 into politics, is that as a, as a doctor, when I got into the operating room or I came into the emergency room, I knew that everybody in that room wanted the same thing, and that is what is best for that patient. And so we were all pulling in the same direction. We were all trying to do this, the, uh, the right thing by that patient. In the world of politics, you know from the get-go that 50% of the folks want you to fall flat on your face, and you're not too sure about the other 50%. Um, There's a lot, everybody, a lot of people looking out for themselves, right? Well, I, I, it's human nature. There's a human institution, right? Yeah. And so, and so there are all sorts of failings because it's a human institution, and you just try to make it as, as, as good as you can. But they're, they're, they, it, it, it's, uh, it's different than anybody would ever believe in the, the, the the machinations and the true true processes of of the political arena. After you get elected, getting elected is a completely different uh, different experience. But once you get elected and you get into the institution, there's all sorts of institutional knowledge. There are the rules that are written. There are the rules that are unwritten. Right. Um, and uh, and it's different than anything. Different, certainly was different than anything I ever did. All right. So Tom goes to Washington, kind of down the road <laughs> later. Now here's what I don't understand. So you go to Washington, let's say you're a, a, a rep now, a U.S. representative, you get paid what? What's the rough salary for that? 200000 Oh, no, no. I think we got paid 150000 160000 But now, what would it be? It's, it's Still probably, same? $150,000? No, it's probably closer to two hundred. Okay, so what? Hundred eighty, maybe. And then you get money. I think I understand. Then you get money to run your office, right? Yep. And so that yep. number's pretty good, like a million bucks. Or Everybody something. gets a, a what what they call MRA, uh, members re, re, uh, reimbursement allowance, or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that is to run, uh, run to hire the folks that, that that work for you, and you can. Those are people in DC in your DC office. In DC and and the district office. In the district office. Uh, to 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 rent the district office to run that that office, whatever it takes right. the computers and everything else, the lights. You and the, buy all that yourself. You got to buy all that yourself, right? Like uh, setting up any office. That's right. That's right. And you got to hire employees. Every office is is basically their own little kingdom. Uh, uh, it, it's their own little silo of a, of, of a business. Um, and, and if you go over it, you, uh, it comes out of your pocket. So, so, so you got to stay within that budget. Stay within that budget. So, and it's for transportation. It's for your transportation up and back to DC. It does include your airfare. That was yep. going to be a question. It, it about. doesn't include your, your lodging up there. So you got to get another place apartment or something. Right. Do they have any kind of free lodging if you no. wanted it? But some people, some guys stay in their office, but I didn't. I didn't really? Yeah. Sleeping off. That's a bad idea. <laughs> Golly. Okay. So, so you, you do get to pay for your airfare back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you don't, but what you don't have to be is you don't actually have to live in your district, right? Uh, you can live in, you, you got to live in a state. You got to live in the state. But I think there's two guys here that don't even live in their district. That's probably true. That represent a district, but they don't actually live in their they own district. Got to live in the state. Then Just that, live in yeah, the state. That, that, that's, the requirements are stipulated by the Constitution. So those, that, that, that's okay. where that comes So do you, can you use any of that money for any marketing? Um, all depends what you mean by marketing. Okay. So how would, how what, what could, would you use money for? Would you... To mail out anything, I guess you it, could do out information flyers or something. There, there, you, you can use it for for nonpartisan information, policy information that you send to your constituents. You can't use it for political. You can't run your campaign with it. Okay. Um, and and there are very strict rules about that. And there's a committee, the ethics committee, that looks at whether or not you're doing the right thing. And if you're doing the wrong thing, then they come down on you and make you to repay it or whatever. All right. So then let's, let's go to the next thing. Cause I'm asking this cause I don't know. And I always wanted to know. So then you run, you, you run your campaign and you get money into your campaign. If you're running that, that, that money comes by you raising that, raising money. the money. That's okay. not the money that you get to run. Okay. So I go out and I raise money to run for office. If I'm running for a U.S. office, that check has to be, if I write you a check, you run, has to be a personal check. Has to be a personal check, can't be corporate check, as opposed to at the state level. At the state level, you can write a corporate check. That's correct. Okay, so that's pretty cool. And it can't, and it, and and there's a limit 
in, in both areas, there's a limit on, on, on what much. you can do. And they, then that limit changes by, you got an overall limit and then you got like a prime, you can do the primary and then but I could give you 2,500 and then give you another 2,500 or something. It's per election. So per the primary election. is different than the runoff, is different than the general, is different than debt. If you loan yourself money, then, then you can, you can collect money. You can, you can raise money from folks so, to retire your debt. Okay. So if I put a hundred thousand of my own money in there, once I raise a hundred, I can write myself a check. Back. That's right. Okay. Now what happens when you're done with office or you don't get reelected and you got money in your campaign budget? What, what do guys do with that? They're, they're called zombie accounts. Zombie. Um, and, 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 and because, because the person is no longer in office, I'm one of those individuals that has a, had a zombie account. I've changed that, but, um, and, and you can use it for three things. You can use it to pay back the individuals that, that, that sent you the money. So you could reimburse people. Reimburse people. You can use it to, to, to contribute under appropriate limits to other people running for office. So if you, yeah, so you could do a president or right. another senator or whatever. Does it have right. to be out of your state or it can no, be anywhere? It can be anywhere. Okay. Uh, or you can donate it to uh, a charitable organization, 501c3 or c4. So those are the three things that you can do with it. And again, they're pretty strict on that as well. What do most people do with that? Most people don't have a lot of money because they, 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 they smoked they, it up. Trying they to raised, get that's right. That's right. Um, um, I'm not, the reason my money was, was available is because then I went to the cabinet and, and I had just finished an election in 16 and had raised a bunch of money for that election. And, and there was money left over from that so that I could run again in 2018. Well, if you run opposed a lot of times, you're going to have a little That's more right. money, especially the longer you stay, That's right. Right? That's right? So does that make it harder to beat somebody that's been in there for a while? Sure I mean, does. Because they can continue to build up that war chest, so to speak. War, war chest of, of, of resources, but also war chest of uh, goodwill in their in their district, if they're doing the right thing. Mm. So, I mean, if you're an incumbent running, then the likelihood is that you've if you've done your job, you've helped people um, uh, in, in, in your district. And so you, people get to know you right. and they say, yeah, he's, he's, doing, he's doing a pretty good job. She's doing a pretty good job. I'll vote for her. So you're in D.C. and you got two places now. How do people, what's the average person, how do they handle that from the standpoint of, you know, I think it's one thing if you're up there and your, your kids are gone and maybe your wife's there with you, you know, and you are in a position with your job to where you're, you know, you're, you, that's your full-time job. How do those people do that that also have a job or have a business? Do they, do you, they go back and forth an awful lot or do they, you know what I'm saying? Are the people that stay, stay there more full-time and some people are real part-time? Yeah, it's a little different in the House uh, than the Senate. Um, the, the, the Senate folks tend to come for a longer period of time when they come to D.C. The House, most everybody goes home every weekend. Really, um, and the reason for that is that you're running for you're constantly running every right? two years, as opposed to a senator who's who's elected for six years. Uh, so when you're in cycle, and for for members of the House, you're in cycle all the time. Mm. Um, then then uh, it's important to 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 be home. Then there are all sorts of things to do when you come back to 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 your district back home, right? You, you got you got um, people that want that want to see you. They want to meet you. They want you to speak to their to their group. Mm -hmm. You got parades. You got Political activity got all sorts of things that that uh, that that you need to do in order to be able to fulfill the the responsibilities of of your role. So I came back every weekend. I never spent a weekend in D.C. in the twelve plus years that I was there that we weren't in session. Wow! Um, and uh, and I, so I went up and back. Newt, when Newt, when the Republicans took over in '94, Newt became became speaker and and he uh, instituted what he called fam a family friendly Congress. Because before then, um, uh, people stayed for a longer period of time. Many of the people moved their families to D.C. and they would go back home infrequently. Uh, but with uh, uh, with with uh, uh, improving airfare and I mean air air carriers and, and and all of that sort of thing, there was pressure on folks to go home. And Newt thought that, and the, and the Republicans at that time thought it was important to have a family-friendly Congress, which to them meant you got to be able to go home. Yeah, you don't. You ought not be having to move your family uh, to to D.C. because you ought to you ought to, you ought to know your district and represent your district. And so he set in place a very uh, um, regimented schedule of being up there three to four days a week when you were in session. So you'd come in on a Monday uh, uh, midday and you'd 
be able to go home on Thursday. So you'd be able to, or you'd come in on a Tuesday and be able to go home Friday. Um, and, and, and that meant that made it so that you could be with your family uh, more and not have to move them to DC. Well, I, I wonder if part of the, I think it's part of the problem up there is people are there all the time and it seems like it's in session a lot. seems like if I was the king, I'd want it to be like Georgia. Hey boys, we're going to go up here for three months and we're going to do all the voting we're going to do. And then we're going to go back home. Yeah. I mean, it, that's better. That's that's a better idea, but but that I mean, that ain't the way it works. That ain't the way it works. <laughs> that ain't the way it works. Uh, but not you know not being uh, uh, having a finite period of time. I I, I would I would strongly support. So, uh, uh, Doctor Price, what's your take on COVID? Um, you know, this is it, uh, historians are going to be really. It's going to be interesting what they say about about how we responded to this. Um, COVID it. Uh, it is indeed a novel disease. We've never seen a corona. It's not a novel virus. I mean, uh, the, uh, the, the coronavirus is a, is a known virus, been known for a long time. It's the mm -hmm. kind of virus that causes a lot of the common cold. So it's, 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 it's a kind of virus that we know. But this virus, the, the, uh, the uh, COVID-19, is, is a new virus. It works in a way that, 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 uh, that is new um, and is a new disease. So. Um, and, and we knew that from the beginning, it was no, this was a new disease that we'd never, so we didn't know what it was going to do. We didn't know how sick it was going to make people. We didn't know how to treat it necessarily. Mm -hmm. Some of the things that we did early on, as you'll recall, seemed to make people worse. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, we didn't have the kind of, 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 uh, of, of vaccinations for it, uh, uh, from the beginning, like we do, you know, now for, for many viral diseases. So. Um, it, it, it was a real challenge at the beginning because it was a, it was a new disease. There's a lot that we didn't know. So people responded in a way, um, some out of, out of knowledge and some out of fear right. uh, about, uh, with, with, with what ought to be done. So um, we, the, the country, the world, a lot of the world, went into a lockdown. Well, this is completely foreign to us. I don't know where you were on March 12th or 13th of 2020, but... but um, uh, you know, when, when, when they say stop doing whatever it is you're doing and you can't do it, whatever it is you're doing, right. uh, unless you're an essential worker. And the definition of that was pretty small, as yeah. you recall, because it didn't include teachers, right? right. It didn't, didn't include school system. didn't include a lot that we would normally consider essential essential workers. Um, so we, that, that decision w w was made. And, and I, I cut people a lot of slack on making that decision at the beginning because we truly didn't know. We didn't know. And it looked like people were dying in droves. Um, and so if, if, you, if you have a new virus, you don't know how to treat it. People are dying from it. They're not just getting sick and, 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 and right. recovering. They're dying from it. Then then you got to do something. The, the, the problem that I think we uh, occurred is that we stuck with that even after we needed to. So we developed uh, ways to, 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 to treat it to a much better degree. The vaccines were developed at, at the Operation Warp Speed was incredibly successful. Never in the history of mankind has this ever occurred, where you developed a, 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 a vaccination, a, a, a way to decrease, not, not the, necessarily the incidence of the disease, but the severity. So people weren't dying at the rate that they were dying from it, and they weren't getting hospitalized from it uh, <laughs> to the rate that they were before. So we, we moved within eight, nine, 10 months to a pretty, pretty significantly improved position. The problem is that society didn't move. The policymakers didn't move in a, in, in a different way and allow things to get back rolling. So we've suffered more from this, from this new disease, this novel disease, than I believe we should have. Um, but, uh, you know, it, we're, 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 we're still, in the so are you it. getting your boosters I, or absolutely. not? Absolutely, you bet. You getting it how often? Every six months? I or? Was, no, I, I I got the the initial two, yeah, and then I got the booster uh, last fall, um, and then I'll get another one this fall. So, what's different about that particular shot? I mean, it, with this mRNA, mRNA, messenger RNA. So that's a different. Something about that's totally different than the flu shot or chicken box or that, what. That, what that, explain that, that to me right. in layman's terms. They, Why is that different? Most vaccines are are what what they call cell based. So they 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 take uh, they take the virus, they infect the cell in a way, and then and then make it so that it's not infectious, and then use that or 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 a byproduct of that to inject into you. So your body says, 
oh, I recognize that as being something bad. I'll kill it. Um, and Or I'll make antibodies to it. Your body makes these the natural antibodies okay. to it. And so when you do get infected, if you get exposed to it, then your body says, oh, I recognize that. That's a bad thing. I got to go kill that. And that does. Who figured that out? Isn't that something? It really is something. Yeah, Salk and Sabin with polio. And all. I mean, it, it's phenomenal. I mean, people are geniuses when they do. That's why you got to let them work. You got to let them... You got to let them be. Okay, so what's different about so, this? So this is this is taking uh, messenger RNA is one of the uh, is a genetic component that all of us have that that make all sorts of things like different proteins and different things in in, in your body, um, and this takes uh, the, the uh, a part of the virus that 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 has that messenger RNA has messenger RNA and makes it so that that virus then then can't, it blocks the virus from getting into the cell with that genetic component as opposed to um, the cell. All right, help me figure that out. And, and it's just a, it's a completely different way to do it. Now the important thing for folks to appreciate is that they've been trying to, to figure out how to use this message RNA positively. For a long time. For a long time, decades, at least 20 years. Uh, it's it's thought- FDA to, wouldn't let them do it or what? Well, they haven't, scientists hadn't figured it out. They, I mean, no. they, they, they were working on, and they've been working diligently on this to try. It, it's been thought that, it, that it's one of the solutions to cancer. Um, and uh, uh, because if you, can, if you can figure out how to block the cancer from replicating, this cancer cell from replicating by using a messenger RNA uh, vaccine or, or, or treatment, then, you know, hallelujah, thank the good Lord. Um, but they haven't been able to figure that out. But what the, the reason that this was able to be done so rapidly is because of all the work that's been done in the last 20 years on this technology. Um, and uh, a, a number of companies, Pfizer's one of them, Moderna's another one, um, that, that had been working on this, and they said, I think that we might be able to do that. The different thing that Operation Warp Speed did that, that had never been done before is that it took all sorts of money from the federal government and said, okay, here's the money to be able to, to, to do whatever you need to do to come up with this vaccine. And, and we're gonna pay you, we're gonna cover those costs, whether we'll pay you- Pay stupid money. Whether it works or not. Whether it works or not. We're not, we're not if, if it doesn't work, then you, you give it your best shot. And what happened is that they believed that it worked and it went through all sorts of, all sorts of testing. Now the testing was sped up um, and so people had a lot of concern about that. They said, you know, this has, the FDA hasn't done their job. Uh, not true, but the FDA hadn't done, uh, and done their job was the accusation. The fact of the matter is that at this point, this is the most um, tested vaccination in the history of mankind. Billions and billions of people, doses literally, have been given. Um, and so we know more about the, the the consequences of this, the side effects of this, um, than any vaccine. So you're not ever. worried about any side effects, evidently. I think that there are side effects, but I think that they, the incident, you, every time with a vaccine, every time with a drug, you got to say, am I better with the drug or without. or without the drug? Everything has a risk. There's no doubt about it. And there's some individuals who, who, who likely ought not get it. But the, that decision, again, surprise, surprise, ought to be between the doctor and the patient, not anybody else. Right. The doctor and the patient ought to be making that decision. Um, but yeah, sure, there are risks, a a absolutely. And, and uh, I I'm, I'm, I'm blessed uh, to be relatively healthy and uh, thank the good Lord. And, and, and uh, I think the risks for, for uh, healthy individuals, I am a, I'm, I'm considered a senior. I don't feel like a senior, but I'm considered a senior. <laughs> do you get the flu shot? I do, absolutely. Okay, so it's kind of, do you, I'm thinking a little bit for myself, that's kind of what it's going to be like maybe for a little bit, get my flu shot really. and my... Now what they're working shot. on is having, is, is, is being able to have, uh, it be bivalent, so the flu and the and the COVID shot are together and they only, and they only have to shoot you once. So. That would be awesome. Yeah. All right, do you think the state of Georgia's turning purple? <laughs> what do you, you I don't know, think what it's do you think? turning purple, I think it is purple. Um, I mean, you, you can't, you... You, you can't have a state that had um, all Republican state elected officials statewide, both United States senators and the, the majority, significant majority of the, the House delegation Republican and have it then move to um, closely contested statewide races, even though Republicans have won uh, all of them to date uh, over the last 20 years, 18 years, um, and, um, and have the two United States Senate seats for the state of Georgia 
uh, flip to the Democratic side and not call it a purple state. Sure, it's a purple state. Why? Um, the the world of politics is 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 a dynamic uh, world, right? So right. so the pendulum swings. Is it, do you believe in that? It swings well, all the time. Absolutely. And sometimes it does this. I mean, it doesn't swing like a pendulum. Right. It doesn't just do this. Do sometimes this. it stops. Sometimes it <laughs> stops and goes back the other way. Yeah. Um, but but uh, our system is one that responds to the electorate. And so when, when you get out of line as a politician, when you get out of line as a party, and the people say, that's not what we sent you there to do. Mm-hmm. We don't, we, that's not what we want then they, the way that they have it to express themselves in the strongest possible way is through the ballot box. And so they, 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 they vote and, and, and turn folks out. Um, and that's why the, the, the middle, the, 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 the folks who aren't necessarily aligned with one party or the other um, are, are the ones that, that are by and large making the decision, which is well, why it's so What percentage important. is that? It, 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 that varies too. Is that 10, but 20% maybe? I, I suspect we're in the 30% range now. That are, they could go either way. Okay, that's a, that's a large it is a large piece. Perspectives yeah. um, seem to be um, catering more to the fringe elements of the left and the right than to uh, the folks that make a majority. If I learned early on in my state Senate days when I was in the minority. I was in the minority for three terms and in the majority for one term. Became the first Republican majority leader in the history of the state in the state Senate in 2002. And I learned early on that being in the minority is okay, but it doesn't allow you to do the kinds of things Real that change. you yourself felt your constituents wanted you to do. Right. Um, and so so the majority is absolutely Big deal. vital. It's, it's huge. In a in a in a in a uh, represented democracy, um, so it's important that people have the ability to change a majority, uh, and the way that we do that is through the through the ballot box. So, what about this election and the uh, and people's? What's your thought on was a uh, was there uh, hocus pocus going on? Was it a fair election? I mean, what what what's your feeling on that? I, I think at the margins, there's always something that could have been done better. Uh, but I, when I look at, uh, I mean, you could feel it as the election was coming up, from my perspective, mm-hmm. as a as a uh, as a proud and staunch Republican. Uh, the other side was running circles around us. Uh, they were organizing their folks to a better degree. They were communicating to a better degree. They were utilizing. Remember during COVID, they were utilizing the the absentee ballots to a a better degree. Way better. I called some of the folks in, in, in the state Republican Party and I said, we're, we're, we're getting our hat handed to us. You, you, this, this was, you could feel it. If, 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 you, if you run in those circles and you know what it's supposed to feel like mm. uh, when, a, when a victory's coming, because um, there's a sense about the excitement and the enthusiasm and what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't feel that way. I was really worried. In fact, I, 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 I've predicted, not that, that it was you know, what I wanted to happen, but I predicted that we were going to lose both those Senate seats uh, in, in the runoff uh, because just it didn't feel right. I, I thought that our, many of our leaders were sending the wrong message. And the it other side... It wasn't unified. That's right. The other side was energized and organized. Um, so I, I, I think it, in part they outworked us, um, and, and uh, in, in part we just we I think they do it. most of the time. Seems like Democrats always seem to outwork Republicans a little bit more, especially on the on the ground game. Okay. But right. but do you think there's anything to the absentee ballot thing in the two thousand mules type philosophy or not? I think there was harvesting of absentee ballots to mail them. I do I, I do believe that. I don't have any 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 hard proof for that, but I, that's just what I felt was going on. Mm-hmm. I don't think the machines were a problem. I don't think machines were turning votes. Um, uh, I've got some questions about whether people were bundling, which is legal in some states, which is collecting a lot of absentee ballots and going and turning them, them all in. in. Uh, it's not legal in this state, but I've got some questions about what. But I don't think that they were illegal votes. I think they were organizing their people in a way that, that got them to, so, to turn yeah, out. I, I wonder if the money that Zuckerberg gave, which was what, $350 million. Something huge. And got passed down to these nonprofits. Did some of that money then go to 
I guess it went to help get out the boat, so to speak. Right. And then was there anybody being paid to go get boats if they weren't there or not? I guess we just don't, we don't know. Well, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some people were paid to vote. That that, that happens in, anyway. in, in oftentimes in, in, in elections. But, um, but, but the, if, if that happened, it was real people. It wasn't fictitious people. There weren't, there weren't fake people that, that, that were voting. And it's important that people understand and appreciate. You've got to have faith, some faith in our system, and I still have faith in our system. Right. The num that there were tens, uh, 30 or 40 court cases that were brought about, about contesting what was going on in this election. And, and not a one of them, not a one of them had the proof. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so you've got you to ask yourself, if, 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 you if you believe in our system, and I do, and I don't believe that all judges are corrupt, and I don't believe that there's a conspiracy out there that, that, that is that competent, right. I just do people, right. it, just, it just doesn't work that way, then, then the, the, the folks who believe that, that, that this, was, this was fraudulent, there was fraud, and that, and that, and that it, it, it wasn't uh, uh, on the up and up, um, you got a chance to prove that. It was never, ever, ever proven in a court of law. And so you, you got you got to step back and question that. The solution is the next election and going out and, and, and working harder than they did. Well, that's really what's going to happen yeah. for either party, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm kind of wondering why Kemp hasn't gotten more credit for leaving us open. I mean, DeSantis has gotten a lot of credit. Now, I felt like they kind of did sort of the same thing. Why do you think he's not getting the, the national attention or maybe he doesn't want it? I, I I don't know. I've, I've I've long since stopped trying to figure out why the media does what it does. But I I think I think the governor's done a whale of a job. I do too. Uh, we were the first state to to reopen, and he took a lot of heat for that. Um, and and were there some consequences for that uh, that 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 may have been adverse? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I believe those consequences were less than the consequences that that would have been in place had we stayed closed. So. Um, uh, you, 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 you won't, you won't find me faulting this governor on how he, how he dealt with this pandemic. Nobody knew what was good, what was going on, what was going to happen. He took some bold steps. He did. He did indeed. And, and, and he ought to be given the credit for that. Um, mm -hmm. and I think he, uh, without a doubt deserves to be reelected. I know a lot of my friends locally that would, were even, I would call them more liberal. Yeah. Are, are saying I'm voting for Kemp because I, I got to keep my business that's right. He kept me in business. That's exactly you know? so that's right. pretty pretty good pretty good thing. Yeah. And when you look at the states that that opened and the states that stayed closed for a long period of time, the outcome from a health standpoint is essentially the same. So you, you one would want to mm. say that that oh he did the bad. Some would more people say, died or something right, like that. Right. And that's just not so. In fact, there are many states that stayed locked down to close for a longer period of time that didn't do as well as we did from a health standpoint. Who are you pulling for for the next election, presidential election? Because oh. I understand <laughs> everybody's running. Everybody's running. I Everybody. Be at this point. So right. we're, we're over two years away, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, I think, you may run. I, don't I think after November, we're going to know more about who's running. But yeah. I, I, I think there are a lot of good folks out there. Who you I, like out there? Um, I like Nikki Haley. Former governor of, of, of what's South she Carolina. what's she like? Yeah, Nikki is a great gal. Folks got to see kind of her tenacity when she was she's tough UN ambassador. Yeah, um, she she's got an incredible personal story. She's first generation American. Mm -hmm. um, uh, she and she's in, she's phenomenal when she when she relays her story. She's bright. She's conservative. She she uh, she she did a great job in her state. Uh, I, I think I think she I think it'd be a great to have a woman at the head of our ticket. Um, I, I, I think she'd be wonderful. So, DeSantis, DeSantis, good guy. I served in the House with him. He, 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 he's a good guy. I, I'm like you. I'm not sure why he's gotten all the credit that he's gotten for doing what he's done down in Florida. Although running Florida ain't easy. No, he's it's, done well, a, it's a bigger state. He's yeah. done a whale of a job. Yeah. It's not bigger geographically. Did you know that? No, Georgia is the largest state by G, by area east of the Mississippi. No kidding. Most people don't know that. I, I would have thought a little why. fact that you didn't know that you needed. To hey, that's why we got you here, man. Because <laughs> you're educated and I'm not. Well, hardly. hardly. All right. So tell me, you know, uh, I, I'm always interested in why, how people go as far as they go in life and things they accomplished. I mean, is there, how do you talk to yourself? What do you do like when your things aren't going good or you're trying to get something to go your way? You know, I, I like to tell a story. My friend Tony Phillips that I mm -hmm. went to high school with, he taught me 
you know, he didn't know he was teaching me this, but he, you know, he was a little guy and yeah. he went all the way to the World Series right. and he would say, he say, Beach, my stuff always works out. And I heard him say that over and over and over and over again. That was kind of his tape that right. he played. Do you have, do you talk, how do you talk to yourself? How do you pump yourself? I mean, you're going to go, you, you, you're going to say, hey, you should pick me, not that guy. I'm running for office. Right. I think I'm better than him. How do you get that going? Um, well, if you talk yourself out loud, they find yourself a doctor. So yeah, right? you're good. They're like my dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you got to be careful that you don't talk yourself out loud. How about can you say it to your wife? <laughs> Probably not even there. Uh, so uh, I, I don't. I, I, most of it is, I guess, is, is is just personal makeup and 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 how you were taught as, uh, from your parents. My my mom was was uh, my biggest champion. As I said, I'm one of five, and and um, she for each and every one of us, she we there wasn't anything we couldn't do. Right, I mean, and she instilled that in us. She believe she made you believe you, in yourself. You can do anything you want. So, do you do. feel that way? There's pretty much anything y'all could figure it out. I can make it happen. Absolutely. Now, I'm I'm looking in 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 the rearview mirror. The, the, some in the rearview mirror. I, I'm doing a fair amount of looking in the, in, through the front windshield. But but when I when I was 20 and 30, uh, there wasn't a thing I couldn't do. wasn't a thing I. And uh, uh, from a from a from a health standpoint, from a medical standpoint, when I got into the world of politics, there uh, 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 there wasn't. A, I was I was certain we were going to win uh, the, the elections that I ran, uh, and and it wasn't because I. I mean, there are other people saying on that that, that that's going to be too tough. In fact, I was there. There are people who said you ought not run. Right. Right. You're yeah, not. You're going to always have that though. Right. That's right. You're not the chosen person. You're not. It's not your time. Yeah. All these things. Um, what did you say to I'm yourself? An, I'm, an, I'm an upbeat guy. I'm an optimistic guy. Yeah. Um, I like to share an optimistic perspective. Uh, I, I, think, I think it's important to, to, to provide solutions. Hard work. I, I, nobody would outwork me. Nobody would outwork me. So, you, so that's, that's a common, common theme, right? With a lot of successful people is I'm going to outwork you or I'm going to do what I got to do. And I got that through 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 my dad and, 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 and through medicine. Uh, cause we, we worked hard. I trained at, at Emory and at Grady. And when we worked at Grady, that, 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 uh, you, most of the time as a, as a resident, you were there for 36 hours and then you got to go home for 12 and then come back and do it again. And, uh, um, and, and that, uh, and I, and I loved it. You know, <laughs> we, we, we used to, uh, when, when we worked in the surgical emergency clinic, we were on for 24 hours and off for 24 hours, on for 24, off for 24. And we did that for a month or two, depending on what the rotation was. And uh, and we used to say, you know, the only thing bad about that is that you miss half of the half of the cases. Wow. So um, I and, and I, I wouldn't have traded that for anything. It, it was the it was the most incredible, positive, wonderful experience that 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 you could have. So cheerful persistence. I used to tell folks, you got to be. Cheerful, uh, cheerful what, how do you, what's, what's cheerful persistence? You got to keep at it. Mm -hmm. Never give up, right? You got to because because keep what, pushing. Keep pushing. What you're going to do a lot of times isn't going to work. So you got to keep pushing. What what is it about Edison? He he uh, uh, he tried twelve hundred ways to invent a light bulb. None of them worked. And somebody said, "Aren't you aren't you disappointed?" And he says, "No, I've I've learned a lot. I've figured out twelve hundred ways that it doesn't work." <laughs> so you, I mean, you just got to keep you got to keep pushing. Got to keep pushing. And cheerful, you got you got to be you got to be happy about it. You got to be optimistic. You got to be. Upbeat. You got to see it as fun and interesting and 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 and, and be positive. And I, I credit my faith a lot with that. I mean, I the things that I that I have done, I I have no doubt that that was only able to do because of the talents that I was given by the good Lord. And 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 uh, um, and that's I mean that's important to know to know you know that that uh, uh, that that. That you're not in charge of this mm -hmm. all. You know, somebody else is in charge of all this. Mm -hmm. You just do your doggone best at whatever it is that you're going to do, whatever it is. It's, it's kind of like you got somebody riding on your shoulder, yeah. whispering in your ear, you can yeah. do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's a great story about uh, uh, John Quincy Adams, who was a president, um, one of our presidents. He was the only president who served in the House of Representatives after he was president. 
Hmm. Um, and I, I didn't know that. I either. won't. I won't get these dates specifically right. But he came back and served in the House of Representatives from like eighteen forty-seven to eighteen forty-nine, or maybe eighteen fifty-one. And um, um, and and uh, he he came. He, they, they said, "Why why why are you going back in the House of Representatives? You're president of the United States." He says, "We haven't abolished slavery yet, so I've got something left to do." And he used to give speech after speech after speech on the floor of, of, of the House of Representatives about abolishing slavery and why it was important to do so. Um, and they, he, he gave so many speeches and irritated his colleagues so much that they made what they called Adams' rules, which made it so that he couldn't give a speech on abolishing slavery or the time was limited or something. Right. Um, and, uh, and, he, uh, um, uh, and, and he was asked at one point, don't you get discouraged my goodness gracious you 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 fought this long you were president you fought this long for for getting trying to do something that had, clearly it isn't going to happen don't you get discouraged um and he said apocryphally i mean he said uh, apparently uh, i mean and i'm i'm just paraphrasing but he said basically um duty is ours results are the lord's so you just got to do your duty just got to do your duty and that was cheerful persistence cheerful persistence point. And you never know what's going to happen because you know what? You know who else was sitting in that chamber from 19, 1847 to 1849? For one term, Abraham Lincoln was a backbencher. And his desk was in the back of that chamber. And I believe that, that one of the things that encouraged him to do what he did when he finally became president 11, 12 years later was because of the persistence of John Quincy Adams. Wow. So you never know. You never know. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you. You bet. Thank you for being here, Tom. God bless you. Thank you. I, well, thanks for sitting in for another uh, episode of Beach Talks. And uh, please share it with your friends. Ask them to check it out. We, um, we'd we like for more people to hear what Tom's got to say. I think he's got a great message. So till we see you again, thank you. Take care. <laughs>